Well, good evening again, and I need to start off making my geographic apologies, first of all. Uh, more than one person has uh, reminded me that the Bahamas are not strictly in the Caribbean. And last night I had them lumped in the Caribbean. Actually, that map came out of Operation World that was trying to find a way of describing a macro region. Uh, maybe you could call it all of the islands in the Western Atlantic and the Caribbean. But that was too long, so they just called it the Caribbean. But I do understand that geographically proper, the Bahamas are not in the Caribbean. We're just looking at a general area. So my first apology. Secondly, I also know that Wales is not in England. And I apologize for misstating. I was reminded that. Um, I have a very good, Marsha and I have a very good friend who's Welsh. And if she had heard me say uh, Wales over, and I meant to say by England, so I said in England, uh, she would have shot me for that. So I was almost shot last night for it. But I do know that Wales, England, and Scotland make up Great Britain. And when you add Northern Ireland, that's the United Kingdom. So that's the proper geographic designations. And for all who were uh, duly offended, I apologize for both of those. Thank you. I appreciate that. The Pope has absolved me down front here, so I'm good. Well, last night we talked about the global south, how the church is growing, um, changes in the perspective of the worldwide church. And one of our responses to that um, needs to be, I believe, that we need to be ready to learn from the newer churches. Uh, the church in the Bahamas has been here for centuries, and this is one of the most Christian countries in the world. It's very easy for us here, as well as American or British or Canadian Christians, uh, German Christians, any, any Christian church that has had the gospel for centuries, it's very easy for us to feel smug. It's easy for us to feel that we are the center, and from us, the world Christian movement radiates outward to the rest of the world. It's always easy for us to think of our church and our country as being Jerusalem and everywhere else as being the ends of the earth. And if we're Jerusalem, if we're sending out the missionaries, it would seem that we have very little to learn from those younger churches in other parts of the world. And yet that's not the case. Uh, the body of Christ, of course, all has the Holy Spirit. Uh, all believers around the world have uh, the privilege of learning directly from the Word as uh, uh, Brother Patrick was sharing with us tonight. When studying Scripture carefully, we all have something to teach each other. Uh, because we come from different cultures and different circumstances, we see different applications coming out of Scripture and can remind each other of how Scripture is to be applied. So there's a lot that we can learn. One of the responses that we should be making from the growth of the church around the world and the strong churches now in Latin America and Africa and Asia, is we need to be ready to learn from them. And Marsh and I learned a great deal during our 19 years in Ethiopia from the Ethiopian church. And when Pastor Lee shared with me that tonight our focus is going to be on prayer and that we're going to be closing the service with an extended time of prayer, he asked me, he said, uh, this won't be a full message, but can you share something to prepare for us, prepare us for that? I, my mind immediately linked those two things, the importance of learning from the church and the global south and the fact that we're going into a season of prayer. Because one of the powerful lessons Marsha and I learned from the Ethiopian church was about prayer. Uh, you know, it's easy to be self-sufficient when you have a lot of stuff, whether you have lots of possessions, if you have lots of money. 
Uh, it's easy to be self-confident and when you have a good education, when you've been able to be to theological seminary and you've been, had the privilege of good biblical training. Uh, it's easy to be self-confident and self-dependent when there are a lot of Christians in government and society and you have a society that is strongly influenced by Christian values and you can actually go to them and turn to them and, and maybe even see Christian values instituted in your society. That's the way the church has been in many Christian countries. We have got resources, we have education, we even have government contacts, influences in society. Not so in Ethiopia, particularly during the 17 years of Marxism. During that time, the evangelical church was resource poor by the world standards. Very little money, very little formal education and no official contacts in government or influence in society. It was a church that, that by human standards, had nothing. And you know what happens when you have nothing by human standards? It makes you realize that we can trust in all the stuff we have by human standards. And when you've got nothing, you can turn and trust in God alone. I am firmly convinced that our level of dependence on God is directly seen by our prayer lives. The thermometer that will determine whether or not we are highly dependent on God or dependent on ourselves and all our resources can be directly seen by the amount of prayer in our lives. You see, you can have resources, but if you're pouring out your heart in prayer, if you recognize that none of those resources will accomplish anything, God alone can accomplish what God will do. Then you spend a great deal of time, you pour out your soul in prayer, you turn to God first in prayer, and prayer becomes the center of your life because your dependence is on God. But if you have resources and you turn to your education and you turn to your money and you turn to your political contacts, your influence in society, and you just kind of ignore prayer, you may say you're depending on God. I may say I'm depending on God, but we're really depending on our resources. We're depending on ourselves. Prayer is a direct thermometer that determines whether or not our dependence ultimately is on God or on ourselves. The Ethiopian church, especially during those 17 years of Marxism, had no resources and they prayed. Marsh and I learned a lot of serious, significant lessons about prayer as we watched and observed from them. It's a text in scripture that underlines that. You Maybe you remember it. Acts chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing. You know the story well. You know how Peter was put into prison. And the church could do nothing. You couldn't go to Herod and say, Herod, we're going to prosecute. You know, we're going to take this case to court. This case to court. Herod was the highest court. He'd already killed James. Peter was going to be next. There was nothing the Christians could do. They had no political influence. They had no lawyers they could turn to. Money couldn't help them if they had had any. Uh, there was nothing they could do to, to, to help or to influence the situation. And so they prayed fervently. They prayed passionately. And God heard their prayer. You maybe even remember the story when they prayed. So we're praying so intensely that when Peter came to the door and knocked and Rhoda, the servant girl, opened the door, they said, uh, she said, Peter's here. They said, no, he's in prison. That's why we're, we're praying for him. Um, you see, their prayers, God's response to their prayer was based simply on the fact that they were depending on him and praying, not on the fact that they magically expected Peter to appear because they didn't. They were just leaving it in God's hands. And that's what God wants us to do and pray. Take our needs to him and leave it in his hands and trust him to bring about the results. 
A couple of stories this evening from Ethiopia, things that Marsha and I learned that will illustrate that and hopefully motivate Calvary Bible Church to be more passionate about prayer, about missions and everything else. One of my students in Ethiopia was a young man named uh, Mikael, or Mike, and he was an elder of his local church. His was one of only a handful of evangelical churches that were allowed to remain open during the Marxist period. In their case, they had started an inner-city school program. The church itself was located in one of the poorest parts of town. And their program was providing free elementary education, uh, grade 1 to 8, for local children. The government didn't like leaving that church open, but it was so popular in the community because it was providing education for the children that the government felt they had no choice. And grudgingly, they allowed this church to keep its property. And so every Sunday, it was packed packed with people coming to hear the gospel, packed with Christians coming to worship. And through the week, they had Bible studies and uh, discipleship and training. Uh, They were training people from many, many underground churches right there. It was having an incredible influence. And it was a thorn in the government's side. Well, one afternoon, some local, they called them cadres, they were communist youth agitators from that local precinct, came to the church and on the outside, on the wall around the church uh, property, they began nailing up Marxist slogans on the outside of the property. And my friend, Mikhail, came outside and saw what was going on and he said, you can't put these slogans up here. This is our church property. You can't put these anti-God Marxist slogans on our property. And these, these young youth agitators were infuriated. How dare you say that we can and cannot put these up here? The very idea that the church has property, that, that's an offense to us. There should be no private property, especially for you church people. You, you, have ad, you have bothered us for the last time. This church has been a problem in our community, and we're now going to take it over and give it to the people. We're now going to take it over and give it to the... We're going to the precinct headquarters, and we're going to be back tomorrow with the paperwork. You have had it. You have crossed the line for the last time. And they disappeared and headed down to the local precinct headquarters to get the paperwork to have the government confiscate the property and have it turned over to the local government officials. Now, what would you have done if you had been in that situation? Probably in my country, the United States, if I had been Mikhail, I would have thought, okay, who do I know down at City Hall? Who do I know at the Garcia? I need to make a few phone calls here, okay? What good lawyer could I call to get involved in this? What contacts? That's the way my brain might have worked. I might have thought about prayer, but first of all, I would have made my phone calls and probably put most of my time. Well, Mike made some phone calls, but not to lawyers or to people he knew at City Hall. Mike called the rest of the elders to say, this is what's happened, we need to pray. And the elders called other people in the church, and then they came together. And throughout the late afternoon and evening, people streamed into the church, first of all by dozens, and then by hundreds. Uh, Late into the night, people were there, the church courtyard filled, the building was filled. Hundreds and hundreds of people from that congregation, from underground congregations that appreciated the fact that that building was still open, People who didn't want that confiscated by the government, who recognized how valuable it was. People came and they prayed all night long, down on their faces in the courtyard. Early the next morning, Mike came out with his Bible and began reading passages about God's strength and power, how he defeated his enemies in the Old Testament. He specifically read the passage from uh, Kings about Jehoshaphat and how when the enemies had gathered against him, God had gained the victory. And uh, the people were crying and praying on the ground and saying amen as he read these scriptures. And 
Over all of this din of prayer, suddenly they heard a mob coming down the street. And they looked outside the gate, and there were dozens and dozens, maybe, maybe even a hundred agitators with clubs. And at the front, there was a guy who was waving the paperwork that had been secured for so-called legal confiscation of the property. So they reached the gate of the church property, church campus there. The gate was open, and you could see all of these hundreds of people down on their faces praying, and the people outside waving the clubs, and, and the leader stepped forward waving his paperwork, and he turns around and he shouts, Now we've seen the last of this church here. We're going to take over this church and confiscate it in the name of the people, as he waves his paperwork in front of them. Some of them shouted, yeah, but one other guy stepped forward and said, no, wait a minute. The last time we confiscated some property in the name of the people, we all know what happened to that property. The guy looks over and says, what are you accusing me of? Well, we know that some of that property ended up in the hands of some of your relatives. That's what happened to it. Are you accusing me of embezzling? That's exactly what I'm accusing you of. So the two guys started getting into a fight. And the mob, which came from different factions, they started getting into a fight. People picking up stones and swinging their clubs and, and getting bashed over the top of the head. And, and some people started running away and others started running away. And people in the church are just praying. And within five minutes, Mikhail told me there was nothing left of the mob. Everybody had dispersed. Remember that passage in Kings? Jehoshaphat, what happened? The people started fighting each other. And eventually... They beat up each other. There was no enemy, even for God's people to face. You see, they prayed, and God answered in a powerful way. That property remained open and in the hands of that congregation for the rest of the Marxist period. Sometimes when you pray, better be careful, because you don't know how God's going to answer. You may have something in mind, something so big, and you pray for it, and, and uh, God begins to do something that doesn't look like he's answering your prayer. It looks like it's the opposite. You think, what's happening, God? Why, why would you possibly allow this? This is not what I was praying for. That happened in an area of southern Ethiopia called Gedeo. The people of Gedeo were strong believers in Christ. They had hundreds of churches, actually, up in the hills all around them, uh, thousands of believers. And there was an area further south that they had been very passionate about reaching with the gospel. But um, they had sent church planters down there, and there had been very little response. And they began to pray. They said, Lord, open a way. Uh, bring these people to Christ. Uh, we've sent church planters down there. We've sent evangelists down there. Nothing has happened. They have not responded. And there didn't seem to be any way. In fact, the Marxist government seemed to be getting tighter and tighter instead of allowing more open doors for evangelists and church planters to go out. The government was closing doors. In fact, they began to restrict the meetings. And then they came in and, and they confiscated the property of most of the churches here in Gideo. So the church leaders went underground and began meeting people in homes and discipling them. And, and the, the, the government officials became more and more frustrated because they were hoping to close the churches in Gideo. And instead, they were actually growing underground. So finally, they arrested all of the church leaders. And they brought them into prison in the central town of Dila. And there they put them all together. Now, these church leaders had not been able to meet openly for several months because uh, the churches had been closed and had had to go underground. They had to be very careful and quiet. But now they're all together in one location. So they had a marvelous reunion. Uh, they were able to get together and talk about strategies for how they were going to reach their area. And what are you doing for discipleship? This is what I'm doing. The government had allowed them to bring their Bibles in. So they kind of started having a giant Bible study there in the, 
and, and a learning teaching session there in the prison, there in the jail. Um, now, in Ethiopia, um, the uh, government does not feed you if you're put into prison. There's uh, no nice government-provided prison meals. Um, the families or relatives have to feed you. Well, with all of their elders and leaders and other men in prison, the whole church of that district rallied and they began bringing food in to these men. More food than they can possibly eat. You know, it was like a giant covered dish dinner, a giant dinner on the grounds every, every day because all these church people are bringing in all this great food. And they had so much, they began sharing it with the other prisoners. And as they share it, they shared the gospel. And some of the other prisoners began coming to Christ. So now you have a giant group of church elders gathered to meet and swapping ideas for evangelism and evangelizing the prison and eating more than they could possibly eat. And the government officials said, this is not what we had in mind. So they came up with a plan. One evening, actually in the middle of the night, they came to where the elders were staying. They threw open the doors and they said, with machine guns, they said, all right, all of you out. Come on, follow us. Get out, come on. They pulled them out and they put them on the back of two flatbed trucks. And soldiers with these machine guns jumped up on the back of these trucks and the trucks drove off and disappeared into the night. Now, the believers, the elders, were afraid of what was going to happen to them. They knew stories that the uh, government officials, the Marxist officials, had sometimes taken their enemies out into the bush and had just machine gunned them down. And they were afraid that was what was going to happen to them. So as the trucks drove off into the night, they began singing at the top of their lungs because they wanted the bread trail, so to speak, the trail of their songs to at least mark the place of their death so that their families could find them and eventually give them a proper burial. So as the trucks drove off into the night, they began singing Christian praise choruses at the top of their lungs. That was, that was the last anybody heard of them from that town from at that point of time. Well, the next morning, the uh, families got up and brought breakfast to the men in prison. And they got to the guards, and the guard says they're not here anymore. Well, what happened to them? Huh. We can't tell you. The families went out. What do we do? They've taken the men away. We've got the food and the men aren't here. What do we do? And they, they began going to some of the neighbors surrounding them and asked, did you hear anything last night? Oh, did we hear anything last night? You Christians can't even die in peace. Yes, in the middle of the night, we heard them singing praise songs. Out, They could put them on trucks and drove them. Which way did they go? They went south. So the Christians, uh, the believers, the families went to the small local transport, these little minibuses, and they got on some of these minibuses and headed off south. They came to the next village. They got off the village and they started asking questions to the people. Did you hear anything last night? Oh, yes, we heard something. In the middle of the night, we heard these Christian praise songs. Vroom, go through on some trucks. Did they keep going? Oh, yes, they kept going further south. So they got back on the minibus, put, 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 further south. All day, stopping at every village, until they finally came to a town called Agramarium. And Agaramarium, they get off and they began asking questions. And they realized that this is where their men were. Uh, they had been put in the local prison. See, the Marxist officials had decided that they would instigate a very wicked plan. They, if these Christians were getting fed and cared for so well in a thick, concentrated Christian area, they would send them to an area where there were no believers, where there was no one to support them, no one to bring them food. So they sent them down to Agaramarium. Well, the... Uh, family said, what are we going to do? I guess we have no choice but to move down here in shifts to take care of our men. And so they began to do that, gradually taking turns, living there and providing food for the men. Well, the uh, believers were together in prison and they were in this area and, and none of the other prisoners were, were Christians because this is not a believing area. So they began sharing their faith. 
This guy got thrown into prison because he was drunk last night and he was beating people up, shared their faith with him. He came to faith in Christ. And when he was released, he took his faith out from there. This guy got put into prison because he's a petty criminal. He's a petty thief. Everybody knew that. Shared their faith in Christ with him. He came to Christ. He was released. Went out, started sharing his faith. And little by little, more and more people started coming to Christ in the prison. And as they were released, they started carrying their faith out. Once the government realized what was happening, they said, this is not good. We've got to do something to break this up. So they scattered the men to various jails throughout that district. <laughs> you know what's coming, don't you? It just increased the church planting effort from the inside of the prisons. As the, the number of people coming to Christ was now multiplied. You've probably already figured it out. Agarmadium was that exact location where the believers of Gideo had been trying unsuccessfully to see the church planted for years. After a few months of being in prison in the area of Agarmadium, there were dozens of tiny house churches planted all in that area from people who had been inside the prison, had been led to Christ by the believers, and had been then released to share the gospel with others around them. It was probably a little short of a year that the government tried to keep its plan of keeping the believers in prison there. Finally, they realized that this was not only uh, not accomplishing anything, it was destroying any hope that they had of snuffing out the Christian movement. So they brought them back and they released them. When you pray about something, be careful. God may answer it, but not in the way that you expect. Prayer makes the difference. We can learn it from our brothers and sisters in Ethiopia. And now as we go to prayer, let me remind us that this is the barometer, the thermometer that determines exactly. Are we really trusting God or are we trusting something else, our resources?